You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated BF Goodrich All-Terrain TAKO2. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The volume. This is Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre. What is up, Straight Fire fam? It's me, Jason McIntyre. Straight Fire for Friday, June thirtieth, the end of the month. July 4th weekend is upon us. Folks, NBA free agency is about to happen. We had a bomb drop on Thursday afternoon. Holy cow, James Harden. We'll get into that shortly. And we have a great guest heading into the weekend, Warren Sharp. Sharp football analysis, really good stuff. Some actionable gambling advice heading into the holiday weekend. You can listen to it while you're on the beach, in the car, at the lake, chillaxing with the fam. Do people still say chillaxing? Anyway. A little programming note, I will be taking off a few days from the podcast, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, back on Thursday. The podcast will return on Thursday, July, geez, what is it, 6th? Yeah, Thursday, July 6th and 7th, obviously. I'm sure at that point there will be plenty of NBA stuff to chop up. Um, I'm actually hosting the Herd solo on Wednesday, July 5th. For those of you who want to, you know, put it in your notes or pop it in the old calendar. Hey, check out Jason hosting The Herd on July 5th. Uh, And there's another week in July I'll be doing it, but we'll get to that later. Um, All right, so before we get to Warren Sharp, just a few minutes on this James Harden stuff. So first of all, the Harden stuff was fascinating. If you remember, back mid-season, all the talk was, oh, James Harden, he's going to head to Houston. He's going to head to Houston. And then... 
as we got to the end of the season in the playoffs, it started to feel like, oh, Harden was just using that as leverage to get what he wants from the Sixers. Now, after the Nick Ner- Doc, Ner- Doc Rivers fired, apparently, according to various reports, Harden wanted that. And then they hired Nick Nurse, which could not make Harden happy, given Nick Nurse's stance on defense and, you know, trying hard. Um, it felt like a swing after that. Remember, Nurse did not totally embrace James Harden uh, about wanting him back. It was kind of a, not a wishy-washy answer, but it wasn't a full-throated, we need Harden back here, blah, blah, blah. It was kind of like, if he wants to come back, one of those deals. That's how it felt to me. Sixers fans, feel free to disagree. At any rate, Woj drops the bomb Thursday. Harden is opting in, and the intent is to trade him. So instead of giving it one more try with Joel Embiid, James Harden is going to be a rented player somewhere for a year, and then he's going to sign, presumably with Houston next summer, because that's where we'd love to end up. Here's the weird part about this. What's the deal with announcing this on June 29th? Did they have potential stuff that fell through, and now they're opening it up to the masses? Are they close on a deal and they're saying, here's our here's our flag, putting up a flag, anybody. Is there interest in James Harden? And all of a sudden, every reporter is saying the same thing. Oh, L.A. Clippers, Harden to the Clippers, Harden from L.A., Harden, Paul, George, and Kawhi. And I'm like, wait a minute. What, why is Daryl Morey doing that deal? He, he's doing a Morris twin, who they don't even need, and Norm Nixon for James Harden? You would basically be selling Harden at rock bottom. And again... Like, he put up good playoff numbers, but he wasn't great. Um, He had a good showing in the series against the Celtics in two games. The other games, he was kind of non-existent. Here's what I don't get. This idea that, oh, well, they they can just reroute Morris to Washington, and Washington can throw something in the deal, um, and and we can just figure out a third team. Like, wait a minute, why is Daryl Morey doing this? If anything, Daryl Morey's going to demand Paul George. Clippers probably won't do that, but why am I taking spare parts for James Harden, who's still like a top 30 player in the league? I don't know if he's top 25. I don't think he's better than Jalen Brunson um, at this stage in his career, the tread on those tires. Like Harden's been around the block, and he just he's a step slower than he was like three years ago. Can he be your third best player on a, on a title contender? Sure. If you t- team him up with Paul George and... Kawhi Leonard, yeah, there's something there, but what, what is Daryl Morey doing handing the Clippers a, a great roster like that? I don't. That does not add up at all. To me, this is all like a smokescreen. The problem is I can't find the landing spot for Harden. Nothing makes sense. So, sure, Philly would love to get Damian Lillard. Why would Portland rent a point guard when they got Anthony Simons, Shaden Sharp, and Scoot Henderson? Why are they renting James Harden for half a year? And then maybe they, what, flip him at the deadline to a contender? Like, it doesn't seem to... There's nothing there. And you're like, oh, just get a third team involved to send Harden. Okay, well, who's that third team? Who needs a point guard? And I go, you go up and down the list, I'm like, I, I don't really see a spot for Harden. Like, sure, the Rockets could take him, but do they want to? They've got a bunch of guards. Milwaukee, like... For what are we? You're swapping with a team in the Eastern Conference. So what? Harden and Giannis are going to team up with Drew Holiday, and you're just going to let them beat you into submission. So like, I don't. Nothing in the East makes sense to me. 
Uh, does Miami roll the dice on James Harden with Heat culture? Uh, my, uh, James Harden, Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo? Like, that's spicy, but why is Miami bringing on Harden as a rental for one year? I, if something doesn't add up here. Uh, clearly, like, you could go through the contenders. Denver, no. Memphis, I don't see it. They just brought on Marcus Smart. John Morant's coming back after 25 games. Sacramento, absolutely not. Phoenix, I, I don't know. I, how are they going to afford Beal, KD, Booker? Oh, oh, DeAndre Ayton? Okay, you're going to find a third team for Ayton? Because Philly don't want DeAndre Ayton. Philly, and don't say Washington is the third team because Washington could have had Ayton in the Chris Paul deal and didn't want him. Okay, so now you're like Warriors, no shot. Um, Lakers, eh. I don't what Are the Lakers parting with Austin Reeves for James Harden? Ah, that doesn't seem right. Harden is so ball dominant. I go through all my notes and I had the James Harden. I don't know if it was in one series or maybe it was like a couple games in a series, a couple pivotal games, but I had James Harden's 600 dribbles. And I don't, it was from a few years ago, but I saw it and I was like, geez, that, that's the kind of player he is. Okay, let's keep going. Does Minnesota have an appetite for James Harden? Um, well, Sixers don't want Gobert. Sixers would gladly take Carl Anthony Towns, but goodness gracious, is Minnesota doing that deal? OKC, I don't see him going back to OKC. New Orleans, maybe there's something with the Pelicans. Do they say, you know what? Zion's going to be healthy. Let's get James Harden in there. We don't truly have a point guard. Um, and maybe there's something with Dallas. Uh, you know, Kyrie Irving is getting all wishy-washy. He don't want the four years. Um, I mean, he wants the four years, but it's pretty clear Dallas doesn't want to give him the four, so that's why he's meeting with the Phoenix Suns. That's why Kyrie Irving's being linked to the Lakers. Like, he wants a four-year deal, and it's pretty clear that Dallas doesn't want to give him one. Now, is this moderately interesting? James Harden for Kyrie Irving. Well, I don't think Philly wants to get in the Kyrie Irving business. And what's Luka doing renting James Harden for a year? But it does clear up cap space, I guess you could say. It's just nothing makes, nothing adds up with James Harden, folks. But uh, let me quickly drill down on the Pelicans for a sec. Because currently, you know, their backcourt is CJ McCollum, Dyson Daniels, Kira Lewis, Trey Murphy, Jordan Hawkins, there's a window there for a point guard. You know, do, do they roll the dice and say, you know what? We're going all in. We're going to get Zion Williamson healthy. We're going to get James Harden. A James Harden-Zion pick and roll? Holy hell, that's nasty. And we keep Brandon Ingram. Well, what are, what are the uh, what are the Sixers getting back? Well, I, Trey Murphy has is definitely going to have a market. He is a very good young player. Larry Nance might be the ideal uh, big to play alongside Embiid. Um, because he gets to do the dirty work and B gets, uh, you know, maybe a little less of a defensive assignment. He's got his MVP. Nancy eats minutes. Um, I don't know. Is there a world where there's some kind of trade with the Pelicans? It's in the Western Conference. The Pelicans would love to take a shot and, and swing for the fences here. I don't know. Pelicans seem to jump out. I just, none of this Clipper stuff makes sense. We shall see what the hell happens with James Harden. But uh, the NBA stays interesting. But for now, we're going to go into the holiday weekend with a deep dive into the NFL with the great Warren Sharp of Sharp Football Analysis. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. we got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton 
is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, they're like, you know, who's really good? Creighton, you know, watch Creighton. And I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shannon the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, not gonna, the not the Big East tournament. Well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team. That could, like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton. Is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. That like that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a is a good team? Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> And then they're never at any of those. Yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys, and they lose out to, like, you know, Lil Durk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Durk was better. Why are you, t- why are you, you telling me? You see the whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Winter's coming here in L.A. That means more rain. For others, a wintry combination of sleet, slush, snow, and ice. Whatever winter means to you, Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. All-season tires. All-weather tires. Dedicated winter tires. Go to TireRack.com. Use the Tire Decision Guide to get personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from a full line of Kumo tires. Ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. You'll get free road hazard protection for a couple of years. Mobile tire installations available all over the country. Have you heard about this? They bring new tires to your home or work. Install them on site. Game changer. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. See their Kumo test results and special offers. They've been at this for over 40 years. Trust me, they're experts. TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com the way tire buying should be. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way. A brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everybody, including sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before. Tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. We break open modern-day conspiracies and tell you which elements may be the real deal. Like, did Bill Gates use COVID vaccines to microchip us all? We all do have tracking devices. Mm -hmm. We carry them around. We spend a lot of money on them. And what's actually on Hunter Biden's laptop? You are talking to the guy that has three of Hunter Biden's laptops and cell phone. And what did the deep state build under Denver airport? Do you think there are secret bunkers? That's just on my list of questions I have about Jesse Ventura. It's our mission to get to the heart of these conspiracy theories and figure out the why, the how, and especially the if. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
All right, let's welcome into Straight Fire one of the foremost football, what do we calling him now? Gambling guy, fantasy guy, numbers guy. He does it all. He's got his great 2023 NFL preview coming out shortly. It's obviously invaluable. I used the 2022 version last year, and uh, I had a pretty good season uh, in fantasy and in gambling. Warren Sharp, how are you, man? Well, I'll be better, Jason, in about uh, four days, five days. Uh, it's just, it's just yeah. burning the ends of both both ends of the candle here uh, for the next, you know, five days until we get this thing done. I've been working on it now for three months, but as you know, with any big project, as it's about to launch, uh, you just like the end is the worst. The end is the worst. You think you get over the mm-hmm. hurdles, but the end is always the worst, and. I get to the point where I love researching the teams, but I've already researched all of them. I've already written up a lot. Now it's just the book assembly, which is very monotonous. And frankly, I'm just just at wit's end, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, but but certainly my my strategy always is get the book out there, publish the book, go spend a couple weeks at the beach. And so that's what I'm going to yes. do this year and and, <laughs> and get back into some good good mood, good spirits and everything like that. You know, I don't want to uh, be the bearer of crummy news, but like four days to go. And we still got some pretty big names not signed yet. DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I would count Kareem Hunt in there. I think he can be a, a shifty uh, addition to a backfield. Zeke Elliott. Uh, who else? Dalvin Cook. Like, what will you do if they're not signed by, you know, July 4th? So, I mean, we're planning to publish on July 5th and kind of is what it is. Now, we can go back and edit if there is something major that mm. changes. For example, Dalvin Cook goes somewhere, becomes the starter, uh, and supplants somebody else who was going to have a little bit more of a backup type role, uh, then we would certainly get Rich Rebar, who's our fantasy analyst, maybe Ray, who's one of our other fantasy analysts, to write a little bit about that and maybe offer some type of an appendix that would go to everybody who purchased the book already to discuss the relevance of that particular move. So um, I think we would definitely account for somebody like that. But I mean, we have we have our schedules, we have our dates, uh, we have to hit, and you know, if something happens after that, kind of kind of uh, out of our hands at that point. It does feel kind of weird. Those are fair, four fairly big name guys, uh, especially Dalvin Cook. But I want to start with Hopkins, who, uh, you know, the Cardinals could not find a taker for his contract, so they just had to cut him. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, DeAndre Hopkins could be a game changer. And it's like, does anybody want him? The Titans and the Patriots are the only ones to show interest. And here we are, what, two weeks in, and allegedly there's an offer, but he hasn't signed anything. I'm a little surprised by this. I know the work ethic has been questioned, but the Patriots seem to be the front runner. Warren, I got to ask you, though, what the hell are the Patriots doing? Um, They signed Devontae Parker to a deal, and you instantly just destroy them on social media for for his inability to separate. Um, They got Juju Smith-Schuster. Everybody considers that an overpay. I don't know. Does Hopkins even help them? I'm not a Mac Jones guy. I think their win total is the lowest in the AFC East. What are we to make of the Patriots here? Yeah, so there's a couple ways to attack this. First, we could talk about you know their current receiving core. Obviously, I didn't like the move to re-sign Devontae Parker to that new deal. Uh, he's ranked dead last in wide receiver separation for three straight years, as you alluded to, which is like pretty hard to do. We're talking, we're not saying like over the last three years he is the worst. Every single year, and there's like over 120 players each year that are measured that have enough targets that get tracked by next-gen stats, the chips and the shoulder pads. Uh, we, he is dead last 
consistently every single year. A very difficult feat to pull off. Now, some people might say, well, that doesn't matter as much. Wide receiver separation isn't quite as big of a deal. But think about this. When you're a young quarterback and you're taught to you know, make, go through your reads, go through your progressions, try to find the guy who's open, you're trying to find guys who are literally open. That's the difference between college and pro. College guys at Alabama, Mac Jones, his guys were getting open left and right all the time. Now it gets to the pro level. He has to go through his progressions. All of a sudden, one of his main guys is number one, is a guy who doesn't uncover at all. And so what was happening is eventually he was just chucking the ball to Parker no matter what. Like if he's open or covered, it doesn't matter. The coach is like, well, you got to throw it up. And he threw four interceptions in only, I want to say it was like 34 targets to Parker. That was like 11.6 or 8%. That was the most of any wide receiver quarterback combo in the NFL last year. So, you know, it just, and we know it's much more of a hindrance to throw an interception than it is to gain any type of completion. Those things flip the game entirely. So you do not want to be throwing interceptions. One of the reasons why you could like Patrick Mahomes and how they got Josh Allen to perform a little bit bit better. They brought in guys that can get open quickly off the line of scrimmage. It's not these big, tall guys that can get down the field and out jump other people. We don't want to be throwing 50-50 balls up too much. Um, So I don't love that. In terms of the Patriots in general, I think one of the things that I cover in the Patriots chapter in the book and each team I spend several days researching and writing and analyzing and it just shocked me again like going back and looking at it because I had done all this analysis previously just how terrible Matt Patricia was like just the worst in the NFL one of the worst in the NFL because there was a few that was just like continues to mind boggle you but with Matt Patricia okay one of the things that was just so odd is Mac Jones was one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL at using play action throwing the football with play action he was one of the best in the NFL his improvement over not using play action was the best. The leap that he took when he used play action versus not using play action was the best in the NFL. And yet the Patriots used it at the third lowest rate of any team in the league. It made no sense. And I went through in the book on almost like a week by week basis and looked at the first few weeks. Then he got injured. Then he comes back. Then it's a bye. Will they learn something? No, they don't learn anything coming out of the bye. Mac Jones spoke to the media, said he would like to use more play action. Do they? Not really. And so, uh, Throughout the course of the season, it was probably very frustrating if Patriots fans were picking up on this. I was sharing some of these tidbits during the season. That that certainly is going to change with Bill O'Brien, in my opinion. Another thing that Matt Patricia just insisted on doing far too much is designing offensive plays for Mac Jones where he was throwing the football behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, over 29% of their passes of on early downs went behind the line of scrimmage. That was the sixth highest rate in the NFL. So we're not talking about, oh, it's third down. I'm going to take a sack. Let me just dump it off to somebody. We're not talking about these types of check downs that will save the offense. We're talking about designed plays where he wasn't holding onto the ball very long. It was part of the offense. He was supposed to throw the ball short behind the line of scrimmage. And they were doing it at the sixth highest rate. And these passes were absolutely horrendous. Like if, if this was one of the teams that I was actually working with, I would be looking at what are the splits here? If he throws beyond beyond the line of scrimmage versus short of it, how much better does he get? And it would have been clear that we've got to get these passes out of the game. Now, during the course of the season, 
J-Mac, I loved it because I just kept betting Ramondre Stevenson receptions over until it got oh. ludicrous. You know, that's a way that you could capitalize on. Like, I can't believe they're so dumb to keep throwing the ball to this guy behind the line of scrimmage. These passes aren't accomplishing anything. But hey, maybe we could profit on it by betting his receiving uh, receptions over each week. And that was a successful prop bet. But those, I hope, will get pushed to the side as well. So mm. the bottom line is Bill O'Brien versus Matt Patricia. As much as I don't like kind of where the Patriots sit in the hierarchy of the AFC East, I do think that's going to be a measurable difference for this offense and definitely is going to improve them. Just getting Bill O'Brien a rational play caller, a guy who can understand what is working and what's not working better than Matt Patricia and and get Patricia out the door. Are you expecting more two tight end sets with Gasecki and Hunter Henry and then maybe more running next year from the Pates? Patriots? Look, I, I, I hope so. It's been several years now. This is, um, you kind of alluded to this at the top, that the Patriots have been sort of spiraling out of control since Brady left to some extent. Yeah. And the problem is that once Brady won that Super Bowl down in Tampa Bay, Bill Belichick just went berserk in his mind. And that's when he <laughs> spent, like, what was it, $320 million in free agency one year, like something that this team never does, way outspent any team in NFL history. And what do they do? They go in and literally at the legal tampering period, as soon as that opens, they go and sign Johnny Smith. And then they go and get Hunter Henry. It's like, okay, they got these two tight ends. We're going to go back to maybe it's like the Gronk and Aaron Hernandez style of offense here with these two guys as like our top two receivers. And then first it was, uh, it was Josh McDaniels. And then last year it was Matt Patricia and neither of them had any clue how to use two tight ends, specifically Johnu Smith, what to do with him, how to get him on the field. And you're right. The splits were different. When they were using 11 personnel to throw the ball on early downs versus 12 personnel, they had more success when they had those two tight ends out on the field. They could use a little bit more play action, but they just refused to do that. So I hope, I don't know, but I hope that they will go out and utilize more two tight end sets. Now I can almost assure you, however, If they pay Devontae Parker and they signed uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, and then if they go get DeAndre Hopkins, like throw that idea out the door, this team's going to be 11 personnel heavy. But if they don't get DeAndre Hopkins, this is a team that two years ago, last year, and this year should be using a lot of 12 personnel, whether they open their eyes to that or not, to be determined. Um, one of the big things, Warren, I look at when I'm breaking down teams in the offseason is the coordinator move. I think it might have been you last year who came on here and was talking about uh, Brian Dable going to the Giants, how much of a game changer that was. They upgraded their defensive coordinator. Boom, they uh, get to the playoffs. Um, I do have a question about the Cowboys. Going from Kellen Moore, who I thought was pretty good, to Brian Schottenheimer, who I know from the Jets way back. I've never been a fan of Schottenheimer. I'm just curious. No Zeke. um, Schottenheimer comes in. You know he's going to want to run the ball more. McCarthy wants to run and play defense. The defense is loaded. What, what are we? Ex- are we expecting any big changes here offensively in Dallas? I don't think there's going to be very many. The the main thing is going to be the amount of runs that we're going to get. And I actually don't know if that's going to be Brian Schottenheimer. I believe, and I I need to spend a little bit more time this offseason getting a handle on who's actually going to be the most involved with the play calling. Uh, but my current estimation is that it's mainly going to be Mike McCarthy. He's the one he he's having Schottenheimer be the OC, but McCarthy's going to call plays, run the offense. It's going to go his way. And I think it's because 
this really should be his way or the highway. Like, he should be done if he can't do anything with this team this season, in my opinion. Uh, they're too stacked on both sides of the ball talent-wise, and they have the luxury of retaining their defense coordinator on a defense that is absolutely loaded and gets a lot of production. Um, that's that's a huge benefit that nobody went and stole their defensive coordinator away. And, and I think the Cowboys on the uh, NFC side and the Bengals on the AFC side both have that luxury going for them that they have you know great defensive coordinators who are potentially better suited to just be defensive coordinators Mm. um, and they're able to run those teams and do a lot with those defenses Uh, but on the offensive side of the ball I think it's going to be somewhat similar. The difference is going to be uh, that we're probably going to run the ball a little bit more, which is worse than a Dak Prescott pass attempt. However, at least we have no Zeke Elliott there. And Zeke was just horrendous. He had been horrendous. This is no breaking news here. But we're going to get more upside with the current rushing attack than we had before. I do have concerns about a little bit about the offensive line. I know Brandon Cooks is coming in there. is going to help the receiving core a little bit as well. They need a little bit of health there. They lost their number one tight end last season who Dak Prescott used a lot like a security blanket. Mm-hmm. How well are they going to get the ball to their tight end this year who obviously a lot younger, a lot less experienced. Um, so I think there's some changes But in terms of what they're trying to do offensively, other than just run the football a little bit more, I think it's going to be pretty similar. That being said, their idea of trying to run the ball more and what Mike McCarthy wants to do there is so antiquated and terrible. This already was one of the highest run rate teams in the NFL, in neutral situations, and that really hurt them last season. If they let Dak Prescott throw the football a little bit more on early downs and try to go for more high efficiency, high upside passes to avoid third downs, this team would be in a lot better situation. The other thing that would help them be in better situation, and I know Dak Prescott busted his ankle and obviously that caused a lot of problems in the past, but you got to use a mobile quarterback's legs down inside the red zone, down near the five-yard line, this eight-yard line. Like you got to let him run the ball. Make that be an element of disguise. You don't have to end up having him just literally run the ball a ton. But if you run a little bit to start the season, then defenses start to realize we've got to account for this guy. Now more things open up, whether it's at the running back run game or in the passing game, and they don't use Dak Prescott's legs at all at that end of the field. So I'm hoping that they're they will do that a little bit more this season. Uh, one thing on Quinn, do you, cause he has interviewed for head coaching jobs. Do you think he stayed because he thinks if McCarthy gets dusted, I'll slide in there for Jerry. Well, I, I think that that would be smart if that's why he did stay. Um, I don't know how, uh, how good those opportunities were. I do think that in the current, like in the landscape of the NFL, even if it's like the coordinator role, but particularly the head coaching role, I would rather be a really good coordinator, defensive or offensive, and wait for that particular job to open up that's actually a good job to take, rather than go into a situation with no franchise QB and a terrible owner and just take Mm -hmm. over for that franchise. Like I realize that these guys only get so many bites at the apple. Dan Quinn already had one shot, but I do think that, let's say he got a shot, but it was a lower tier team, uh, he probably made the right move to stay there in Dallas because... If things do go sideways here, all the blame is going to go to Mike McCarthy, naturally. Uh, He got rid of his... Anytime a coach 
gets rid of, even if it's during the season, gets rid of the coordinator or takes over the play calling, like, you know, this is, this is his last move, right? This, yeah. this probably is this guy's last move. And so uh, if they go sideways, McCarthy's going to be out. Quinn might become the interim coach and, uh, and take things from there. I do worry about something. I'm going to go to my Jets for a second. I saw, You had a tweet about Aaron Rodgers' lack of downfield accuracy, just even throwing the ball deep last year. And I'm hoping, Warren, a lot of that had to do with young receivers, him being pissed off with the franchise, kind of sort of checked out. Um, what are we to make? Do, I know Russell Wilson fell off a cliff pretty badly last year. He could maybe bounce back without Hackett as his guy. But I don't know. Rodgers did not have a good year. And then your numbers on his, his downfield passing – they kind of had me worried for the Jets. Yeah, so he threw 40 attempts down the field. Uh, to put that in some perspective, that was the most of any quarterback in the NFL. Only one other quarterback threw the ball uh, more than 30 times, 30-plus yards down the field. Okay, so we're looking at what is Aaron Rodgers doing on these deep passes, 30-plus yards. Threw the ball 40 times and only completed six of those. Now, that obviously sounds terrible. It is terrible. It's one of the worst in the NFL last season. Uh, his completion rate was god-awful. Then you look at EPA and all the efficiency metrics. Obviously, they're going to be closely tied to that. And those were also terrible among the league's worst. And as a result, there's a lot of questions, right? Justifiably so. I do believe part of it is was his hand that was injured. Part of it was he didn't have a rapport with these receivers. Keep in mind, Rodgers really wasn't like hurrying to get to camp last year to start working with all these young guys. Devontae just got shipped out to Vegas, and so who's he going to be working with? He took his time to get into camp. Um, I think that was definitely a part of it as well. Um, and then there was like this element where they weren't, overly uh, successful in terms of their overall team. They were trailing in some games. And so Rodgers would find himself on like third and four, third and three, and sometimes just like playing hero ball, chucking the ball down the field unnecessarily. Like, and then the team just ends up punting the ball. Didn't make a whole lot of sense. You got three yards to get. Let's get a high efficiency conversion here rather than throwing the ball 30 plus yards down the field. But I do think that on the Jets with his hand healed and a better receiving core and clearly the desire, just like Brady goes to Tampa, you got to prove it. Now the chip's on your shoulder. What was going wrong in Green Bay with your prior stop? Was it you or was it the coach? And so here you get the excellent opportunity to go and prove it. I think um, it's an interesting dynamic with where he landed because for years now, being that you are a Jets fan, you realize this, the defense has carried this football team. And you have not had a quarterback even have an above 500 record at any point with the team since Mark Sanchez. Uh, defenses, year in and year out, have had to do more on their side of the football, and that wears on a team. When the defense is doing more and the offense is turning the ball over, putting that defense into bad spots, it wears on that unit. And yet... Robert Sala comes in last season and absolutely pulls together a big-time improvement on the defensive side of the football. One of the best defenses in the NFL last year. And I pulled together like some of the statistics where I looked at, I know they played a varying schedule, right? Some teams were good, some teams were bad. Let's look at only the times that they're playing top 10 offenses. They played seven games against top 10 offenses. If you look at how they did against top 10 offenses versus how all the other teams in the league did when they played top 10 offenses, the Jets defense still ranked number one in yards per play allowed, number one in EPA per play allowed, uh, number two in success rate allowed. 
And there were seven of those games. They played the Bills twice, the Bengals, the Lions, the Jaguars, and the Dolphins twice. I even removed the Dolphins game because both the Dolphins games because they didn't play Tua in either of those games. And they still were the number two defense against top ten teams, even when you exclude those. So they were great last season. Now they're going to get more support on the offensive side of the ball. And, and, you know, this will... You'll feel really connected to this stat, J-Mac, because probably had you banging your head on the wall. What is the number one thing that a quarterback simply needs to do? What is the number one most important thing? It's just complete a pass, right? Like the bare minimum, we need to complete a pass. Zach Wilson, dead last in completion rate each of the last two years. So in 2021, he completed only 55.5% of his passes, dead last of any qualifying quarterback. This past year, 2022, even worse, 54.9%. Again, though, dead last in the NFL. So you haven't even had a quarterback who has not been more than dead last in the NFL in completion rate. The bare minimum threshold of what you need a quarterback to do is when you throw the ball, you need to put it somewhere where somebody on our team can catch it. You couldn't even do that last year at an acceptable level. So Aaron Rodgers certainly raises the floor immensely. Where is the ceiling? That's a lot to be determined yet because I do think you've got the talent at the receiver position. I'm worried about the offensive line a bit. Uh, Your defense is obviously very good, but certainly you play in the AFC. It's a stacked division. It's a stacked conference. Uh, I think there are going to be challenges that arise. I'm interested to see how quickly you get out the gates. Um, and, And then obviously we know you've got a difficult schedule, but great rest. The NFL did you so many favors with how much rest they gave the Jets tied for the best in the NFL of any team because the NFL determines when are you going to play these games. They don't determine who you're going to play. They determine when you're going to play them. And they hooked you guys up. Lots of home games early. I want to say out of like the 17 games, you guys only leave that stadium or that state. uh, I know it's (coughs) New Jersey, but the New York, New Jersey area. I want to say like six or seven times. So it's it's just a great schedule for the Jets this season uh, as best as they could hope for. And certainly the NFL is going to want to see Aaron Rodgers in New York in the postseason. Yeah, just don't screw them with hard knocks. Um, All right, Warren, a couple more real quick. Uh, Falcons over eight and a half wins has piqued interest of a lot of people. A bunch of betters I know have already taken it. Um, Falcons schedule, uh, the quarterbacks they face is unbelievably bad. It's like first-year guys, second-year guys, unproven dudes. Um, I don't know. Is this something actionable, you think, Falcons over eight and a half wins in a bad division? Yeah, I think it is. I I like that. I actually gave out two free chapters, one of which was on the Atlanta Falcons, and I took their over. I was on it earlier this offseason. We got it at over eight wins. Uh, I still would take over eight and a half. I also like some longer shot bets, Falcons to make the playoffs, Falcons to uh, win the division. Now, I don't know what those current odds are because I gave those out to clients and we bet them like a month ago, so I'm not sure where they stand right now, but I am bigger on the Falcons than a lot of people. What most people don't think about is that the Falcons, I like to look at not just how many one-score losses you had, but how many games were you in, which means you either won the game or lost it by within one score. So the game could have gone your way. 15 of their 17 games, they were quote-unquote in. And that was the third most in the NFL behind only the Chiefs and the Bills. 
Uh, this is a team that I think is going to continue to grow. Arthur Smith took this team from a bottom five rushing attack his first year to a top five rushing attack last season, and all they did was added a fifth round rookie. Now they go out, they add Bijan Robinson as well. They need to get their passing game moving forward a little bit, but one of the things that their run game does that's so unique is on first down, even though defenses stack the box at a top five rate because they know a run is coming and the Falcons still run the ball at a high rate, they're efficient when they run the ball on first down and they're the best team in play action on first down. Their EPA per attempt, their yards per attempt, throwing the ball down the field are outstanding. The key is in the red zone. They need to improve inside of the red zone where they were bottom five last season. And guess what? Arthur Smith is known for that in Tennessee when he was there. This is one of the best offenses inside of the red zone. I think that's an improvement that the Falcons make. They brought in a ton of players on the defensive side. And I didn't mention the hmm. biggest thing. Last year, they ate $84 million in dead cap. They only spent $203 million on the salaries cap out of 208. 84 out of the 203 was on dead cap for players that weren't wow. even on their roster. Now they're down to 11 million in dead cap. They've decided to spend the rest of that money now that they got back mm. on players. So they loaded up on the defensive side of the ball. They've got some more players on the offensive side of the ball. This is definitely going to be a team that has improved a lot year over year, in my opinion. Interesting. All right, we'll wrap up with this one, Warren. Um, if I said to you, you can have the Eagles or Chiefs on one side or the field on the other side to win the Super Bowl, which side would you take? Man, I think I'm going field. Uh, I think I think I'm going field. Um, look, as much as I love both of those teams and think that they've got a great chance to come back, uh, the playoffs is such a. I don't want to say like it's such a good tournament, you know, like the NFL playoffs is much must see TV. We don't even know if both of those teams is going to get a first round bye. So unlike last season where they did have those opportunities, they might have to end up playing. The AFC is obviously very stacked. I think the Cowboys are going to be better. There's other teams in the NFC Hmm. that could perform a little bit better than they did last year to give the Eagles a bit of a run for that best record in the in the NFC. As a result, you might get more games that the Eagles are playing. Now, would I bet that both of these teams make it to the divisional round or to the uh, conference championship round? Yeah, I mean, I think that they are good enough to both say for sure I'm expecting the, it would be a massive disaster and a shock if they don't make it at least to the divisional round. But once you're there, you know, look, Jalen Hurts, I shared some of these stats before. This is a team that does not have a lot of experience, nor was very good when they were down in games, late in games or situations where they had to turn to the pass. The defenses knew that they were going to throw the football. The Eagles offense was not nearly as good because they're rarely in those situations. And in my opinion, they take their foot off the gas too quickly in the second half to try to get out of games healthy. Uh, They need those reps of continuing to throw the football a little bit more deeper into the second half. When when you're in situation all of a sudden, that's why the Patrick Mahomes-led Chiefs is such a great team to watch because first quarter to fourth quarter, they're passing the football, right? Like this is a pass first team. So if they end up being in a situation where they're trailing, they're familiar territory for them. They're going to be able to pass the ball and get out of it. The Eagles, a little bit less familiar territory, especially into the fourth quarter. So I like both these teams. I'm not betting against them right now, but I do think that I would rather have the field in that scenario. Interesting. Wow. So, so by the way, you said Falcons in the NFC as a pick is, is there a team you're looking at an over or under in the AFC that has kind of jumped out. Again, we're only recording this end of June, early July. Still a lot to be determined. 
Yeah, I think I think the Raiders are in trouble. I think the Raiders are in trouble. Here's <laughs> here's here's one reason why with uh, with Jimmy G. I'll give you probably one actionable bet. We bet the under on their win total. I think it was at seven and a half. I don't know what the line is right now, but there's also an angle that you could take under two and a half division wins. So they're not going to win at least three games within the AFC West. They've won three games each of the last two years. However, they swept the Denver Broncos. I think the Broncos are going to be a little bit better with Sean Payton, the yeah. investment on the O-line and everything like that. I would be shocked if they sweep the Broncos this year. As a result, they're going to have to find that third win somewhere else. I like under two and a half wins for them. But one of the big reasons, J-Mac, in the book, I go over this ad nauseum. I encourage everybody to check it, check it out in the chapter on the Raiders. The difference between what Derek Carr was doing on early downs in in Vegas with the Raiders, what Josh McDaniels was having him do versus what Jimmy G was asked to do with the 49ers is Mm. night and day. Derek Carr was asked to pass the ball early on downs and throw the ball deeper down the field. And so he had a lot of longer dropbacks, throw the ball deep. Totally different than what Jimmy G was doing in San Francisco. Kyle was running the ball a ton and all the pass attempts had one of the lowest A dots in the league. The 49ers lead the league in yards after the catch, but they're among the shortest in terms of target depth. They throw the ball short, a lot of passes behind the line yeah. of scrimmage. That's not what Josh McDaniel's offense is like. So I am I do not think it's a great fit at all. Jimmy G mm. dropping back behind center, having to throw the ball deeper down the field on first and second down. He's just never done that in his time in San Francisco. And I don't think it's going to be overly productive wow. for him in yeah. Las Vegas. It's weird, Warren. I mean, uh, I I don't want to say people start tanking in like November, but you have to wonder if teams like Tampa, the Raiders, Arizona, they start the fire sale early. Uh, Hey, you know, Raiders, we're two and seven. Devontae Adams can be had. Who want, you know, Josh Jacobs, anybody, you know, and you, you wonder if teams start to think about offloading if it's going sideways with Caleb Williams sitting there as a, I'm assuming you're, you're in the camp of Caleb Williams is going to be pretty damn awesome. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to just the college football season. I never look forward to college football seasons, really, because I'm such an NFL guy. But I just want to see how he's grown and matured uh, over the offseason and looking to see him on the field again. I absolutely think that teams would be in their best interest, especially like them. Think about this. You go from Derek Hart, now Jimmy G., and you got the potential to go to Caleb Williams. Like I think it's a no-brainer that you have to figure out a way to get that get that number one overall pick. And absolutely, if you win two games, you probably should be looking to pack things up midway through the season. <laughs> All right, Warren Sharp, uh, Sharp Football Analysis. His guide comes out. Um, July 5th, you said, and they can buy that on the website or your social media handles, all that fun stuff. All that fun stuff. It's there linked in my bio on the social media as well as on the website. All right, Warren. Hey, thanks a lot. Obviously love the football uh, preview you do. Enjoy the beach. You put in the work and then uh, we'll talk to you during the season. Thanks for having me, J-Mac. The Volume. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? 
You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man, who was called Mal Evans, who was on roadie, and uh, I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Sergeant Pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.